Welcome to church today. How we doing? I want to start by welcoming everybody that's with us online right now. I want you to drop an emoji that describes how you're feeling and let Pastor Rob know how you're doing. Uh, if you're with us in Ogallala, if you're with us in North Platte, thanks for connecting and, and really just worshiping God with us today. I don't think there's a better way to start your week than to connect with other believers and to get focused on the Lord and begin your week by worshiping him. Uh, my name's Dave, and I get to be the campus pastor out at the North Platte campus. And I could spend all day today telling you about the amazing things that God is doing at that campus. But instead, we've got a new series to kick off. And so we'll be getting to that in just a moment. I want to take a second to thank Pastor Jeff and Kim and the leadership of New Life. My wife and I, we just came back from a four-week sabbatical, and it was truly an answer to prayer. Here's a picture of our, our family, all five kids, and we just got more family time, probably condensed in the first three weeks of the sabbatical than we'd had in maybe the previous like 10 or 11 months. And so we, we got away, we got refreshed, we spent time with the Lord and, and are recharged and ready to go. And so I just want to start by saying thank you. It was an answer to prayer and it was a gift that we are grateful for and so we're excited about this uh, coming back, and in particular, I'm excited about today, starting a new series, Never Alone. Coming out of the pandemic, many of us experienced being alone more than we ever had before in our life. We experienced uh, seasons of loneliness unlike anything we'd experienced before, and we feel alone when we have limited face-to-face, in-person interactions and there's endorphins that are released in our brain that are really healthy for us when we have quality in-person interactions. And those same endorphins are not released at all or not to the same degree if we're just having Zoom calls and connecting with people on social media and things like that. We live in a world that is more connected than it's ever been, but yet it's also easier to feel disconnected or isolated or alone because you have all of these kind of surface level connections or digital connections and, and it can leave you feeling like, well, man, where's the real like sustenance? Where's the real substance to my relationships? Think back to the creation story right at the beginning of the Bible as God goes and creates every step of the creation, he says that it was good. He would look at it when he was done and he would say, it is good. Just as if you would, if maybe you're a skilled craftsman and you've just built something, you're going to stand back and appreciate what you've made. You would hopefully look at it and say, it is good. But in Genesis chapter 2, it gives us a little bit more of a picture of what happened after man was created and he started taking care of the, the creatures and the plant life and all of that. And it says that God looked at man and said it's not good for man to be alone. Challenging life circumstances can cause us to feel alone, to feel isolated. We can be quick to think that nobody else is going to be able to help me. I'm all by myself in this medical diagnosis or this financial situation. Or when a relationship suddenly ends, you feel like you are alone. And that is common sense that tells us that it's not good for us to be alone. God's word tells us this about 
how vulnerable we are when we are by ourselves. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. The trap of the enemy uh, that he tries to get us to fall into is to forget the promises of God so that we feel alone even when we aren't actually alone. I, I believe that many of us, even here that are connecting today, while we're sitting around other people or we know other people are on the other side of the screen that are watching online with us, that, that we are surrounded by people, but sometimes we can still feel alone. And the enemy loves this. The enemy loves when we think we're alone or we feel like we're alone. Fortunately, all throughout the Bible, God promises that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that we are never actually alone. God's promise to be with us is good news. And we're going to look at this throughout the month of August. In our five Sundays, we're going to look at uh, topics such as temptation and how we're never alone when we're in the midst of temptation. We're never alone when we are waiting. We're never alone when we're living on mission. We'll study and be reminded that no matter what, no matter what we face in life, we are never alone. Today's topic that we're going to start with is, is simply this, when our back is against the wall. When your back is against the wall, that's a phrase that we use to describe when we're facing some sort of adversity. Maybe it was unexpected, maybe it was expected, but we're facing difficulty, we're facing adversity. You might say your back's against the wall when dealing with incredible stress or a tremendous financial burden. When you experience the loss of a loved one and you're just not sure how you're going to go on without them. We say our backs are against the wall when we run out of options and we feel like there's no hope. We don't know where to turn. You feel like a failure. You feel like you're defined by your past mistakes. You feel hopeless. You're on the verge of giving up. Your back is against the wall. You feel as if the enemy is staring you in the face and he has your back pinned against the wall. Oftentimes, we don't know what to do. Today, I think there's going to be some hope that you'll walk out of here with. We're going to look at a story found in Daniel that can shed some light into what we can do to process adversity, and we can progress through the adversity, and then even look at what we can do to better prepare for it when it does come. We're going to look at a story that many of you have maybe heard before, You've read it multiple times. It's, it's commonly a story told to children because there's some really cool, unique things about this story. But wherever you fall on that spectrum, maybe this is your first time you're hearing it or it's the hundredth time you're hearing it, my prayer is that God reveals something fresh to you today. That you look at it with a fresh perspective, that you look at it with, you come with ears to hear and a heart open for what God wants to deposit to you today. And if we do that, then I believe you're going to walk out of here with hope. 
So let me set up the, the scene a little bit. As the book of Daniel starts, God's people, they've been conquered by Babylon. Babylon was a world power that dominated the time. And they conquered God's people and led them off into captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, and he liked to then take the people that had been conquered, and he would send his advisors to go to that group of people, and they would recruit the strongest, the best-looking, the most capable young men out of that conquered nation, and they would raise them up, and they would put them in places of leadership so that they could maximize the people that they had conquered. The three young men that uh, we're going to talk about today are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those names are not very common because we usually don't call them by those names. They were given Babylonian names when they were led into captivity and selected by the king's advisors. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So let's fast forward to Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they find themselves in a situation where their backs are against the wall. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's built this gold statue that he wants people to worship. It's 90 feet tall. It's approximately nine feet wide. And he sets it out. Now, let me back up real quick. For those of you with kids that love dinosaurs, it's two Brachiosaurus stacked on top of each other. All right? My kids, if I told them, oh, it's 90 feet, ha- uh, 90 feet tall, they're not going to be impressed. But if I said, hey, it's, it'd be the same as two brachiosaurus stacked on top of each other, they would think it's the coolest thing ever. They'd probably go to our backyard and try to build it, okay? But anyways, so it, Nebuchadnezzar builds this structure, and he sets it out on the plain area, this flat region that's just a few miles outside of the capital city, so that it is easily visible from a long distance away. And then he's going to have musicians strike up some music. They're going to play all sorts of instruments. And as soon as that music starts, everybody that can hear the music and see the statue is to bow down to it and begin worshiping it. Now, as a prideful and insecure leader, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's out to control his people. Now, in, you know, if I gave you like 30 seconds, you could probably create a pretty decent list of world leaders that are prideful and insecure, and they try to control their people, all right? This is something that we can relate to. We've seen this in our time with one leader or another throughout the world. King Nebuchadnezzar is no different. He's attempting to unify his people, but not in a positive way. He's looking to unify his people through this false religion, worshiping this false god, and doing it through fear, If you've never heard the story before, the fear comes in in this, that if they don't bow down and worship this gold statue that he created, that he claims is some sort of God, then you're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace and killed. Anyone who failed to bow down and worship this gold statue, this structure, this man-made thing, I don't care how cool it looked, I don't care how many brachiosaurus tall it was, it was still a man-made structure that they were told they had to bow down and worship. And if not, you're going to get thrown in this fiery furnace used to to take metal and purify it. It's heated up. It's super hot. You're going to die in this furnace if you don't worship this false god. As soon as Nebuchadnezzar makes this decree and sets the expectation that every person in his kingdom is going to worship this golden statue, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego suddenly find their back up against the wall. Do they compromise their beliefs? 
Maybe to simply avoid death, or do they stand tall and face the fiery furnace? Do they try to find a loophole? Maybe bow their knee but not bow their heart and make an excuse that they were just doing it so they could live. They're in a difficult spot. Their backs are against the wall. Their lives are on the line. It could have been easy for them to feel abandoned, to feel betrayed, to feel like they were alone. They're already living as captives in a foreign land, and now their lives are on the line, threatened that if they don't bow down to this false god and begin worshiping a false god just to appease this this human, King Nebuchadnezzar, then they're going to be thrown in the furnace and killed. Now, one wrong move, one wrong move, and they're going to be thrown in this furnace. Now, in the last maybe year and a half or so, this term, cancel culture, has become prevalent, and you can't, it seems like, turn on the news without somebody talking about cancel culture, and I'm just out to tell you, cancel culture is not a new thing, all right? It doesn't get more drastic and more canceling than say, bow down to this or you're going to die, and so cancel culture, that's what they were facing. King Nebuchadnezzar's henchmen, they were out to cancel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as soon as they were given a reason to do it. So let's pick up the story. The musicians have played. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down to, the, to worship this golden statue. And now the king's advisors are coming to the king to rat them out. And let's take a look at verse 9 of Daniel chapter 3. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, the advisors come, and they say to him, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Don't they sound like a bunch of brown nosers? I mean, let's be honest. They come in and they're, your majesty this, and long live the king, and, and all of this, and they're sucking up to him, and they're really just trying to you know, prep him to then say, hey, And these three guys didn't do it, and you know what you said was going to happen. Well, Nebuchadnezzar took the bait in in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? I mean, he just oozes with insecurity. He oozes with, I want to control you. I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to use fear to get my way. But let's take a look at their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, and I personally, this may not be 100% theologically accurate, I kind of think they roll their eyes at him like, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. And in this, we see the first crucial step that when your back is against the wall, if you want to be victorious, if you no longer want to find yourself in that situation, when you face adversity... Or confrontation, the first step is to remain calm. 
They didn't fly into a rage to match that of Nebuchadnezzar. They remained calm. And as you see in just a little bit, they speak very eloquently, very clearly. They are not rattled. They remain calm. It's crucial that when your back is against the wall, when you're facing adversity, that you remain calm. Maybe you're wrongfully accused of something. And and you're accused of doing something. People are lying, maybe trying to get uh, your position at work, or they're they're spreading gossip about you. The, The best thing you can do is to remain calm. When you're facing a serious situation, Losing your ever-loving mind like Nebuchadnezzar is not going to help you. You're not going to be able to think clearly. You're not going to be able to process it well. You're not going to be able to ultimately make a decision that is best unless you remain calm. Think back to the last time that your back was up against the proverbial wall where you were facing adversity. Maybe it's right now in your life. You're facing a situation and your back is against the wall. How are you handling it? Or if it's something from your past, how did you handle it? On the scale of lose your mind, Nebuchadnezzar, to remain calm, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, where would you say you are? Where were you when it came to how you handled that, how you processed it? See, when you have a habit of working, or excuse me, walking according to God's ways, and in step with His Holy Spirit, peace should be a normal rhythm of your life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had been following the Lord. They had been building this relationship with the Lord. And so that when they encountered this adversity, their response was one filled with peace. They remained calm because peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence of God's presence in your life. It's evidence of the fact that you're living a lifestyle that pleases and honors the Lord. When you're walking in God's ways, peace becomes a normal part of your life. You'll be prepared for your back-against-the-wall moment. And I would also say that it's going to be one of your greatest opportunities to witness to somebody else. When they look at the situation that you're facing, they see your back is up against the wall, and somehow, some way, you remain calm. You remain peaceful. In fact, that's a part of the witness that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego And part of their example that they live out that impacts Nebuchadnezzar. We'll get to that more later. But we tend to panic in these moments. And peace is far from us when we have not been living with peace as an everyday rhythm of our life. Now, if if you were somebody that said, well, man, I tend to react a little more emotionally. I tend to react a little more panicked or anxious. Then here's the good news. And You know, big surprise, it comes from Jesus. It comes from something that he said in John chapter 14, verse 27. He tells us that he has a peace that the world cannot offer. And this has been a verse that I've come back to time and time again as things have been stressful, things have been chaotic, things have been challenging in the last year or year and a half. He says this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. My translation Amazon Prime isn't going to send you the piece that you're looking for. You can't go pick it up curbside somewhere. Jesus and Jesus alone offers the peace of mind and heart that will help you in your back against the wall moment. So he finishes by saying, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. 
You don't need to. And when you have my peace, you won't be troubled. You won't be afraid. Doesn't mean that you're not going to face adversity. Doesn't mean that you won't have challenging things happen to you, but you won't have to be troubled or afraid. So if you struggle with remaining calm and experiencing this peace, then I want you today, maybe right now, tune me out or wait until response worship time, but simply pray and ask Jesus to give you this gift. He is a generous Savior. He is a good, good Father that wants to bless you. He wants to give you good gifts, and he's telling us right here, one of the best gifts that he could ever give you is his peace. So take a moment and ask him for it. You'll live a more enjoyable life life if you have his peace. You'll remain calm when your back's against the wall. So armed with peace and remaining calm, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, continue on. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. See, they weren't disrespectful, so maybe the eye roll isn't accurate, but they still refer to him. They, they're, they're honoring, they're respectful. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, I love this line. We want to make it clear to you. See, there's no wavering here. There's zero wavering as they say, we want to make it clear to you. We don't want you to be, you know, we don't want to be misinterpreted. We don't want you to be confused. We don't want you to misunderstand what we're saying. We want to make it clear to you, Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, I think that's amazing because what was Nebuchadnezzar trying to do? He was trying to control them. And here it is they're saying, we just want to make it clear to you, you're not going to control us in this manner, in this manner, in this fashion, because we worship our God and you're not going to change that. So here's the second step in handling your back against the wall situation. First, remain calm, but then remain confident. Where does their confidence come from? Where does your confidence come from? In particular, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their confidence was not coming from themselves. It wasn't the fact that they had three of them together. The king had far more men ready to apprehend them. Uh, it wasn't coming from their situation. It wasn't coming from their circumstances. It wasn't their bank account. Their confidence was coming from the Lord, very clearly. We can so easily find our confidence in something other than the Lord. And every single one of us is guilty of this at one time of our life or another. We're, we're, or we begin confident, becoming confident in our job and the title and the status that it gives us. It might also give us a really comfortable lifestyle and we become confident in our financial situation, in our bank account. We become confident in I mean, I think this might step on some of your toes. I know it stepped on mine at times in my life, but we might even be confident in what we do for God rather than just who he says we are. We, became, we become confident. We find our identity in doing things for God rather than just being his, being present, being with him, spending time with him. We can find our confidence in our relationship. You know, I've got an amazing wife. Tiffany is incredible, but if I'm not careful, I find my identity in being her husband rather than, first and foremost, being the Lord's son. And if I find my confidence start to drift and get those out of whack, then I'm going to be putting myself, uh, my confidence and my identity in something that is not as stable as my relationship with the Lord because God is faithful. As amazing as Tiffany is, she's going to fail. As amazing as I am, I'm joking, 
I'm going to fail. So she better not find her identity in me either. We, though, sometimes maybe we find our confidence in our identity and our social media presence or our status or our influence or our popularity, but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They found their confidence in one source, and it was in the Lord. So then when it was challenged, they remained confident because God didn't waver in this moment. Now, I love how Eugene Peterson translated the Bible. It's the message version. He's, he's the pastor that is behind that. And as he went to translate 1 Corinthians, so Paul's letter to the, the church in Corinth, he translates this section uh, found in Corinthians 10 verses 11 through 13, I think in, in just incredible language that maybe, maybe it just stands out to us a little differently because of how current this, this sounds. So in this section, Paul, he's recapping the failings of God's people over the years. And then he says this. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing, up, messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and, so, and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. And then this one is profound. Read this with me. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Can somebody say amen to that? That so often we are focused on, we think the answer to becoming more confident is focusing on myself so I become stronger, so I this or I that, and it's all about me and cultivating self-confidence. But he's saying here, no, find your confidence in the faithfulness of God, because he will never change. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If you are confident in God, you'll be able to remain confident. This was a verse that stood out to me a few months ago as I was preparing to, to speak and lead some of our teenagers. And I just thought, you know what? This is for everybody. Yes, teenagers, as much as anybody, will struggle with confidence and identity. And, and, and so many of them are trying to figure out self-confidence. But, man... For every single human being, we need to cultivate God confidence. He goes on to say this, verse 13, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. Doesn't matter how alone you feel. Doesn't matter how uh, crazy your circumstances are, how overwhelming they may seem. God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Cultivate God confidence and you can face anything. Not because you're great, but because he is great. So cultivate God confidence. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had spent years developing God confidence. Even in captivity, they are still serving the Lord. They're still faithful in developing that relationship, living a lifestyle that honors Him. And so they are developing God confidence. So when their backs are against the wall, they don't start panicking. They don't start losing their mind. They're not worried about what they should do. Remember, they spoke very eloquently. Let me be clear. Let us be clear to you. We are not going to bow down and worship your false God. They're not compromising their faith just to save their own lives. They're calm. They're confident because of the relationship that God had them cultivate. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your God confidence level today? 
Your God confidence level will determine how you handle adversity, whether or not you feel alone or feel like you've got the one, the difference maker on your side. Where is your God confidence level today? Let's dive back to Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't react so well to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God confidence. In verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, as a morbid side note, if he really wanted to punish these guys, he wouldn't have heated it up faster, hotter because they'd die quicker. If he really wanted to get back to, at them, he'd have cooled it off. Some of you are like, man, you are really morbid. But that's the deal. That's the truth. And so he's losing his mind. If he's wanting to accomplish, you know, torturing them, he's making terrible decisions at this point. Verse 20. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Remain calm, remain confident, remain committed. They didn't waver as the heat of the furnace was increased. They didn't waver when the strongest of Nebuchadnezzar's men came and approached them to tie them up. They didn't waver when their circumstances went from terrible to even more terrible. They had been preparing for this moment for years. They didn't start to question God. They didn't question, God, are you with us? Why aren't you with us? Why aren't you saving us? They didn't let fear win out. Because they had God confidence that led them to stay committed. They remained committed and their commitment was rewarded. Let's take a look. We'll finish out the story. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Which I got to just pause for a, a quick side note there. They're unbound. In the midst of the fire, in the midst of the torture, in the midst of this back-against-the-wall moment, they're in the presence of God and they're free. What does that tell us about when we face adversity? When we go and we try to please ourselves, we try to figure it out, we're going to stay bound by our adversity. But when we submit and we stay committed to the Lord, there's freedom. And somebody needs to know that today. That there is freedom in the presence of the Lord. So find your hope, find your confidence in him, and stay committed no matter what adversity you're facing. The Lord is faithful and he will be with you. So, then he yells. Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Notice the change there. Come out, come here, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. What a testimony. Notice how everyone crowded around them because they saw how they walked through the adversity. They saw how their God had delivered them. 
What a testimony. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, let me say that again. Now, now Nebuchadnezzar is saying, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. He's a little crazy, okay? And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Can I get an amen? There's no other God. I don't care about the two brachiosauruses that are gold and look cool standing out in the plains. They can't rescue like this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remain calm, remain confident, and remain committed. Sometimes when we study a miraculous story like this, it can be easy to keep it at a distance because I'm guessing most of you have never been told that you had to worship a gold statue that was 90 feet tall. Most of you have never been bound and then thrown into a furnace. So sometimes we can take a miraculous story and keep it at a distance and think that that's not for me. That's great, but I've never seen God show up in a, in a miraculous way like that. But it's the principle. It's the example that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego set for us. That if we apply to it in our back against the wall situations that we face, we'll be victorious as well. Because we serve and worship the same God that did the miraculous for them. If you want to see God do the miraculous things in your life to help you overcome adversity, do the same things that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They remained calm, remained confident in the Lord, not themselves, and they remained committed to Him. Is your life marked by God's peace? Are you cultivating God's confidence on a daily basis? If so, His peace, His presence in your life, that is a combination that will allow you to stay committed when your back's against the wall. Now, as we, as we bring this to a close, I want you to think about what you're going through right now. If your back isn't against the wall, praise God for it. But most of us know at least one person who has their back against the wall. And so maybe if that's you, that you know somebody, then you can begin to be praying for them and interceding on their behalf. When your back is against the wall, it's easy to feel like you're alone. It's easy to think that you're alone. It's easy to think that nobody else will understand you. Nobody else will relate to you. That's a lie from the enemy that I want you to not believe today. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. It's not going to be on the screen. But God comforts us in a certain way so that we can comfort others in the same way and they might be able to experience the same hope that we were given. And so... There are other people that have gone through what you're going through. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. God is here. He's with you online. He's with us in each one of our venues in our auditoriums today. God is here. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. If you put your faith in him, the Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So the lie is that we'll never be alone. You don't have to feel alone, excuse me. You are never alone because the Spirit of God dwells within you. Ask God to make you aware of His presence as we respond in worship. Ask Him 
God, will you make me aware of your presence today? And then respond to what his Holy Spirit is speaking to you, to your mind, to your heart. And in doing so, you will start developing and cultivating God confidence. Why don't you stand with me as the worship teams come Let's prepare our hearts to move into this moment where we get to not worry about what's going on, not worrying about the, that proverbial wall that we're back up against or what it is that's pushing us up against that wall. And we get to instead enjoy God's peace. And so let's ask him, let's invite him to make his presence known in our hearts and in our, in our places of worship today. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this incredible story. This incredible example of what it means to stay calm, to be confident in you, and no matter what our circumstances are, to stay committed to you. I pray, Lord, for those right now that are finding themselves in moments where they feel alone or they feel like they've just got incredible adversity that they're facing. God, may they know in this moment that they do not face that adversity alone. That you are with them that you are faithful, that you are the one that they can be confident in. God, we know through many examples in your word that you promised to never leave us, never forsake us, that you'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. But sometimes we don't feel that. Or sometimes we forget that your presence is with us. And so right now, God, I pray that you would make us aware of your presence today. Make us aware of your presence and may you be glorified with the way that we respond to our adversity. May it bring glory to you always. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.